Our greetings in the name of Jesus. To him be all glory and praise. Because of him we have a hope beyond the grave as we were singing about. And when one from our midst passes, we are uh, especially aware of that, are we not? This morning I'd like to talk on the subject of the mission of the church. A number of years ago I taught on this subject here at our summer Bible school. So I decided to condense some of that material into a message for this morning. You may, oh, you may keep your Bibles open to the scripture that was read. I'll be referring to that a few times probably throughout the message. <clears throat> the mission of the church is a subject that is close to my heart, a subject that I can get excited about. And as you know, some of us have, have been uh, thinking a lot recently about outreach, about church plant, and so possibly it was that that somewhat drew my mind to this subject. But I want you to know, though, that this is much more than about, this is about much more than going into another area or going overseas. The mission of the church is for all of us, where we are every day. It's not just going somewhere else. In fact, it must start here. We are ill-equipped to spread the gospel into another area if we don't, are not doing that where we are. <clears throat> and I'll say this, that I don't... I don't claim that this is one of my strong points as far as witnessing, spreading the gospel. In fact, I, I, I feel weak in that. I feel a need of myself of being encouraged in this. Yes, we, we, you know, we're to practice what we preach and teach, right? But I think there's also something about as we preach and teach the word of God, we, we'll have to admit we don't always come up to it. And so it... It, this is challenging me. I need this too. The mission of the church. <clears throat> a mission is a spe specific task which, with, a per which, with which a person or group is charged. A specific task that has been assigned to us. The mission of the church. Now I believe it's true that the main purpose of the church is to glorify God. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 1. About three times there it uses the phrase, to the praise of his glory. We are to be to the praise of his glory. So the, the purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. We know that, don't we? And so whatever else we may do or say or be needs to come under that umbrella of bringing glory to God. The church is also to edify itself. We encourage each other. We edify each other. We find that in Ephesians chapter 4, where it speaks about the different members working together. And it says, uh, unto the edifying of itself, the church, unto the edifying of itself in love. So that, that's also uh, something we're involved in, edifying each other. But we also find time and again in the scripture that the church is to reach out and evangelize and spread the gospel. 
And so if we are only involved in edifying each other and never reach out, we might just become like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a body of water over there in Israel. I think it's like 1,200 and some feet below sea level. The Jordan River runs into it, but it has no outlet. And so as the water evaporates, it leaves behind all these minerals and salt. And so the water in the Dead Sea is rather, feels kind of thick and oily. And it, hardly any life there. Like, there's no life in the Dead Sea. It's why it's called the Dead Sea. It has no outlet. And I think if, we can, if we're only involved with ourselves and have no vision of reaching out beyond ourselves, we may just become like that. <clears throat> and of course, it's easy to talk about this. I was reminded of the story. I, I don't know if this is probably not true, and I don't even know, remember all the details, but there are these, these people that want to learn how to fish. And so they started talking about how they could fish, and they took, had some classes on fishing. They even decided to get a good speaker in to tell them how to fish. Eventually, they built a university where they could, had, they could take courses on fishing. They could get, get a degree on fishing. The problem was they never went fishing. And sometimes we're too much like that. You know, we need to put this into shoe leather. <clears throat> so today, I'd like to simply encourage us in this area of reaching out and ministering. Somehow being involved in this mission of the church of spreading the gospel. And I'm not trying to put us on a guilt trip because we're not out there on the street telling people about Jesus. I think everyone can somehow be involved in this. Whether it's going overseas or going into another area or speaking to your neighbor or the one you work with or maybe giving or praying. I believe there are people among us that are not able to go, that are not able to be very active, that are still involved in this ministry of praying. And I believe that's so important for whatever mission efforts we have that is well bathed in prayer. <clears throat> My first point is the mandate to evangelize. <clears throat> a mandate is a command, or it's a giving the authority to act. We have a mandate to spread the gospel. It's not an option for the church, as I understand the scripture. Jesus didn't give this as an option. He gave it as a mandate. He, he gave us the authority. He gave us the command that this message needs to be taken out. And we find, here in the script, find it here in the scripture that was read. Notice in verse uh, 18. It says, God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The next verse says it again. He hath committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. This is a mandate, a ministry that we've been given. It says we are ambassadors. We are here, as it were, in a foreign land. We are not at home here. We know that. We're only here for a while. 
but we're here to represent our Lord in this world of wickedness. We are ambassadors for Christ. The Amplified, for one of these verses, says that by word and deed, we might aim to bring into harmony, to bring others into harmony with him. By word and deed. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he left behind an unfinished work. I know when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And I think it was as far as he had fully given himself. The sac- he was making the sacrifice. However, when he ascended to heaven, he left behind an unfinished work. He passed that on to his disciples, his apostles. He said, you carry it on from here now. And it reaches to us today. The four Gospels all give some form of the Great Commission or something about being sent. I think Matthew says this way, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So this command, this mandate, is for as long as there is time. It's for all people as long as time continues. Mark says, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Luke says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And in Acts, it's recorded that before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. We are commanded to go. To go and invite people to come. We know we're to be the salt of the earth. Salt doesn't do much good in the shaker, does it? It has to make contact in order to be effective. In order to serve its purpose. It has to come out of the shaker and make contact. We are the salt of the earth. If we're just involved with ourselves, we can't fulfill this mission of spreading the gospel. Sometimes maybe God has to shake us a little and get get us out of the shaker. Too often maybe our attitude is, the people out there, well, you're welcome to come. Come on in and hear the gospel and get saved and go to heaven. But if you choose to stay outside and not come, then you'll have to go to hell. No, we are told to go. We can't expect the world to come to us. We must go with the message. Whether it's going across the ocean or going across the street to our neighbor or going to the man we work with. If we say, you have to come, Someone said this way, it's a little like saying to the sheaves out in the field, come in, come in out of the field and get harvested. Or to the fish, come into the shore and get caught. The message is go. A sower went forth to sow, it says. Romans says that blessed are those that bring glad tidings. So you see the action there, the going and bringing and giving. And I have some... I'll be quoting some quotes here that I picked up. And here's one. If a man has a soul, and he does, 
And if that soul can be won or lost for eternity, and it can, then the most important thing in this world is to bring that man to Jesus Christ. I think we would agree on that, wouldn't we? And yet so often we are so involved with ourselves that we lose sight of what our mission really is. Jesus said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. Yes, there's, there's a harvest out there. Now, Jesus didn't tell us to pray for a harvest, but he said we're to pray for harvesters, pray for people to go. I think Paul said that some, some sow, others reap, but God gives the increase. A certain farmer walked to church every Sunday past a neglected home. In that home was a boy whom he never asked to go along to Sunday school. The boy was Joseph Smith, leader of the Mormon church. And we can only wonder if that boy had gone to Sunday school, would history be different today? If that boy had a chance to hear about Jesus, if that farmer had taken time to invite the boy along. But here's another one. When Edward Kimball led his Sunday school pupil, D.L. Moody, to the Lord in the back room of his shoe store in Boston, a chain of events was set in motion that affected the lives of F.B. Mayer, Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, and Billy Graham. So we may never know that that one soul that we touch, that we reach for the Lord, maybe a child in Coatesville. We never know the far-reaching effects that might have. And yes, we, we have our families, we have our children. There's a ministry there, certainly. That child sitting on your lap might be an evangelist someday. But at the same time, I think we need to reach out beyond ourselves in our circles. Somewhere there may be a soul that you can touch for the Lord, somewhere in your life, within your reach. I think you probably all heard the story of the boy and the starfish, but I'll say it again in case you haven't. There was this boy was out on the seashore, and the tide had come in and washed all these thousands of starfish up to the shore. And of course, as the tide went out, the starfish were there dying. So this little boy was there picking up starfish, one at a time, throwing them back in the water. And a man came along and he said something like this, well, isn't that kind of foolish? After all, look at all these thousands of starfish. What difference are you making? And the boy just, uh, just bent over, picked up another starfish, and threw it back in the water. And he said, for that one, it made a difference. No, we can't... Maybe can't be involved in mass evangelism. But I think there's even a more effective way of reaching people for the Lord, and that's just in our everyday lives. 
And I'm not talking only about speaking, but somehow touching people's lives, demonstrating the love of Christ, demonstrating salvation to people around us. <clears throat> the mandate to evangelize, a mandate to spread the gospel. It's a command, it's a mission for the church, for us. My next point is motivation to witness. I remember back years ago, we were involved in school. We used the COE curriculum, and they had this in their workshops, I think. They talked about this, about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. Now, extrinsic motivation is like when the teacher tells her pupils that, Okay, if you get 95% this test, or you get so much work done by a certain time, you'll be rewarded. Maybe you'll have extra recess, or we'll have a party or something. Trying to motivate the students to get their work done well. Extrinsic motivation. But intrinsic motivation is when that student just wants to do it. I just want to do well on this. I just want to complete my work. It comes from within. There's, there's probably a, a, a place for extrinsic motivation. But we hope our children will get beyond that sometime, don't we? Well, they'll do things willingly and not just for a reward. Hopefully it's that way in fulfilling the mission that God has given to us as a people. Hopefully there's within us a motivation. Not because the preacher says we ought to go out and witness. But because we want to. There are certain things that take place in our lives, I believe, that make us want to. Back here in verse 11 of uh, chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, we, we didn't read that, but Verse 10 speaks about the judgment, and then verse 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I think some translations use the word fear there. Knowing the fear of the Lord. In other words, we know there's a judgment coming. We know the sinner will go to hell if he doesn't repent. The sinner is going to stand before God and have to give an answer. We know we're going to be judged for how we fulfill this mission that God has called us to. The fear of the Lord moves us then to persuade men, it says. Persuade men. And then in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. It compels us. Some of you older ones remember Aaron Glick and his teaching here at Peckway and other places. I remember he used to say that this verse is the mainspring of Christian service. Now, maybe we don't even know what a mainspring is, but it used to be that clocks and watches, you know, you had to wind them up because there was a spring inside there, the mainspring that, that drives it, that makes it work. The love of Christ, Paul is saying, is what should be driving us, what should be motivating us, that Intrinsic motivation. A loving passion for Christ 
inevitably results in a living passion for men. And we read time and again in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion. His ministry was a ministry of compassion. Compassion is not only feeling sorry for people, but doing something about it. If we have the life of Christ within, life, life, tent, life reproduces itself, doesn't it? So if we have the life of Christ within, there's something about that that will make us want to see others have it. Perhaps too often we're lacking in that, that compassion, that passion. Sometimes our, our mission work even can become just more program maybe than passion, more organization than really life in it. There's a danger of that, that the work of the church becomes just, just organization. More work maybe than worship. But I believe if our heart is with God, and we have a passion for, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and a deep love for him, it'll give us a compassion for others. It'll compel us, it'll move us to want others to hear this also. Someone said, we always advance in our evangelistic work only so fast and so far as we advance on our knees. Certainly, as I said, our evangelistic efforts, outreach or whatever it is, Coatesville should be well bathed in prayer. And I'm glad we have prayer warriors among us. Some that maybe can't go, can't be so active, but they're praying. I'm confident about that. <clears throat> and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who motivates us. Recorded in the book of John, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And then he said, it says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm not sure that I fully understand what was happening there, but possibly this was something of a, uh, a symbolic action pointing, pointing forward to when they would indeed receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was saying, as you receive the Holy Spirit, I'm sending you then to spread the gospel. In Acts 1, Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We like power, don't we? Us men especially. We like when we have some power under the hood. Or we like to drive that tractor when it has enough of power to easily pull the equipment. Yeah, we like power. But the power of the Holy Spirit is what we need to be what we ought to be and live as we ought to and spread the gospel. This is the power that changed Peter. He was a very weak. He was a coward at one point. Just in front of that maid, I think it says, he was afraid to say that he knows Jesus. He swore and said, I don't know him. But when he was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he had the courage and the boldness to preach the gospel to a large crowd of people. He was a changed Peter because of the Holy Spirit within him. <clears throat> or there was the Apostle Paul, Saul, who thought the Christians were heretics. He tried to, he imprisoned them. He tried to, to have this sect destroyed. 
But when the Holy Spirit moved into his life, he even joined these very people whom he had despised. He preached the very gospel that he had tried to destroy. The difference that it makes when the Holy Spirit moves into our hearts. When the apostles were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus, they said, we, can't, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. <clears throat> Even in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, he suffered a lot because of his preaching and teaching. He was put in prison. He was put in the stocks. He was thrown into a dungeon. And at one point he said this way, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. It seems that maybe he was for a little bit at the point where he felt like, you know, is this really worth it? Why don't I just keep quiet? But he went on to say, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. I think he's saying that the word of God was just in me. I had such a longing to, to tell people about the Lord. I just couldn't hold it back. <clears throat> yeah, the apostles weren't, I don't think they went to a seminar to learn how to evangelize. Many of them were not highly educated. They were lowly fishermen. They probably hadn't taken a course in public speaking. The early church probably didn't have anything like that. They just went out and did it. And I think it was because they were enthused. Jesus was alive again. He is their Savior, their Lord, and they wanted to tell others. It was the fervency of their own Christian experience that moved them to speak. <clears throat> Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Like an artesian well, this living water flows from Jesus to us, and then it should flow from us to others. <clears throat> How can we experience that? It's interesting that Jesus didn't tell his disciples, go out and become fishermen. No, he said, follow me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. I think that's the key. The fervency of our devotion to the Lord. The intimacy of our relationship with him. That has a lot to do with how well we do in fishing. Jesus said, just, just follow me. Just follow me. And I'll make you fishers. It's not our ability or our equipment that God wants so much, it's, it's you, it's me. In fact, I think sometimes our ability can get in the way of us being useful to God. It can be a hindrance sometimes. Just recently I read the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. <clears throat> you know, there was this enemy army that was out there. And so Gideon was prepared with 32,000 men. But God said, no, you've too many. It's too many. You'll take the credit to yourself. So 22,000 men that were afraid left. And Gideon was cut down to just 10,000. I wonder how he felt. But God said, it's still too many. You know, the story ended up with 300 men. It started out with 32,000. 
by blowing the trumpet and breaking the pitcher and letting their light shine, they won the victory. See, God doesn't want us to be get, attempting to take glory to ourself that belongs to him. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes maybe our, what we think is our ability can get in the way. I've said already, I believe one of our greatest needs is simply to see how much we need the Lord. And let me say again, this is, isn't uh, just about speaking to people. I'll admit, I'm not good at that. Sometimes I envy people that seem to be so able to just go to people and talk about the Lord. I was a, I was a bashful young man. I'm still a quiet person. And I, I struggle with that. You know, what, how can I be more bold to speak for the Lord? But really, it's not just about speaking. It can be giving a piece of literature. It can be just, just a few words. Or even no words. Just demonstrating to the people that you rub shoulders with what it's like to live a godly life. We never know the life we might be touching. We never know who's all watching us and who might be influenced by our godly lives. My third point is the message of reconciliation. What then is our message? It's the gospel, of course. It's a simple message. It's good news. The good news that Jesus saves. I understand this word gospel was originally used uh, when an army was out fighting and, and they won the victory. When there was good news about this important battle that was won. You can imagine, the, the men were out there fighting, their families were back home in the city, maybe the king was waiting there, and then a runner would come with news, good news, the battle's won, good news. <clears throat> we also have that good news, the battle's won, Jesus won the victory for us. <clears throat> Too often, we're hiding this good news, we're keeping it under the bushel too often. You just know the story of the four lepers found there in First and Second Kings. <clears throat> there was an awful famine in the land, in Samaria. The city was besieged by the enemy army. They were surrounding them. And there was these four men that were lepers. They had to stay outside, you know, because they were lepers. They were outside the city. But they were hungry, too. There was no food. People were desperate for food. These four men began to think, well, you know, we could, we could attempt to go into the city, but really there's no food there. If we stay here, we'll die here because there's no food here. Why don't we try going out into the enemy camp? If they kill us, well, then we'll die there. But maybe there's that possibility they might have mercy on us and spare us. And so they went. And what did they find? Lo and behold, the, everybody had fled. The enemy had all fled. God had made them hear a noise like the chariots coming. They thought the enemy army was coming. So they all fled and left everything behind. And so these hungry men began to go in and out the tents. I imagine they 
filled their stomachs in a hurry. They ate and drank, it says, and they found, even found gold and silver there. But they were living it up for a bit. <clears throat> we have our stomachs filled too, don't we? Not only with material things, but with spiritual things. But then these men, these four men, sort of came to their senses and they said, this is what they said. We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. And so they decided, look, we need to share these blessings. There's much more here than what we need. So they went back to the city and told the people, there's food out here. I can imagine the rush there was to get out there and satisfy their hunger. Yes, we are well filled, are we not? Well filled in material things, certainly, but we are well filled spiritually. But there are others out there that are hungry. I don't know if you uh, know much about Cam's billboard evangelism. We had a speaker here talking about it. But the, the men that, that answer those phone calls know. That there's a lot of hungry people in America right around us. People that are struggling in sin. And people that want out, they don't know how. <clears throat> if we stay here and don't tell others, we do not well. <clears throat> We're just like Naaman's little maid. We can't cure the leprosy, but we know one who can. <clears throat> Our message needs to be a message of repentance. There is no salvation outside of awareness of sin and repenting from that sin. The prophets preached repentance. John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles. Our message is not just a sugar-coated message to make people feel good as they are. It's not an easy believism to where your life doesn't change. It's a message of repentance, turning around. We must remember that as we try to reach people for the Lord. But it's also a message of reconciliation. We have it here. Our message is be reconciled to God. I like that word reconciliation. It's, it's coming together again. I think in last Sunday's uh, Sunday school lesson we had that verse about that we were like sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. When a sheep is separated from the flock, it becomes scared. It doesn't know which way to go. But there's something about coming back to the flock. It's at home again. That's what it's like when we become converted. Come back to the Lord, back where we belong, to our creator, our savior. Reconciled. We are called. We are commissioned to call people to reconciliation. That reconciliation that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has made possible. I was reminded of 
The story in the Old Testament of when a plague went throughout the camp and God told Moses, you make a serpent out of brass and put it up there in the pole and whoever looks at that serpent will be healed. Imagine what must the activity that must have been in that camp when the message went out. If you look at the serpent, you'll be healed. I suppose parents would grab their sick children and take them out there and say, just look, take a look. And Jesus said, as, a, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's our message. Just look. Look to the Lamb of God. Manny preached about beholding the Lamb of God. That was John the Baptist's message. It's still our message. Look to the, look to the Savior. We are called to be witnesses. A witness is one who declares, and see, declares what he has seen and heard. It doesn't mean we have to pressure people. Sometimes just our personal testimony. Just a few words for the Lord. Just letting people know that we love the Lord. In Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, he said this way, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. He said, they are not of the world. In other words, we are, as we say, we are in the world, but not of the world. Jesus didn't, his plan was not that we should isolate ourselves, but that we should live holy lives here in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, as the Bible says. We need, in other words, show, show people that there is something better. A, a life, a, a holy life lived among the ungodly has great power, I believe, to show people a better way. It's not when the ship is launched into the water, but when the water gets in the ship that she sinks. So, again, I... I ask myself and I ask you uh, do we have a burden for souls I need to remind myself that there's people around me that aren't prepared for eternity story goes of a woman who escaped the Chicago fire but she was crying and so someone asked well why are you crying you're safe aren't you she said, yes, I'm safe, but it didn't help anyone else. And they said, well, you probably couldn't even help anybody else. She said, I know, but I didn't even try. Are we even trying? I hope we are. I trust we are. I'm grateful that we are in many ways. I believe we are a church that is serious about this mission. But then again, it's so easy to, to get to the place where we're just satisfied with ourselves. A couple, uh, couple stanzas of a poem here. The Gospels of Math, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are read by more than a few. But the one that is most read and commented on is the Gospel according to you. You are writing a Gospel, a chapter each day. 
by the things that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Many of you have heard of Jim Elliott, one of the five missionaries that was killed by the Alka Indians in Ecuador back in the 50s. Some years before his death, he wrote in his journal, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Jim Elliot didn't live a long life. I think he was only in his 20s when he was killed. But I think he lived a full life. His, his mission was to take the gospel to the Alka Indians. He never accomplished that in actually taking it to them. But through his death, later they were reached. And a number of those men that actually threw the spears were converted to the faith. His death was not in vain. He was, he was a devoted man that was willing to give his life. And then I asked, what am I willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ and the furtherance of the gospel? Maybe a little bit of my wealth, a little bit of my comfortable lifestyle, maybe even my reputation. Well, if I speak for the Lord, people will laugh at me, think I'm strange. What am I willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ to fulfill this mission, this mandate that God has given us? Jesus said, he that saveth his life shall lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. He said, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I hope we're encouraged. To not be satisfied to just take care of ourselves. I hope the Spirit motivates us this week, whenever, in our everyday life, to let our light shine, to have a burden for people that are out there that are lost, and do whatever God calls us to do, in even just some small way, to let our light shine for the furtherance of his kingdom. Let's kneel and pray.